Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program that gets you and keeps you up to date with your Houston Texans OTAs in progress. We're here at NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and the General John McLean from the Houston Chronicle joining you this evening. How's it going, John? Mark, it is going great. I'm so fired up. It's a great time to be a sports fan in Houston with the Astros are hot. The Rockets have a chance to advance to the NBA Finals. Oh, my gosh. Texans OTA is mm-hmm. going on, and that Rockets game tonight, I think if they win it at Toyota Center, I think they're going to win the series. I picked them to lose. Oh, they better if they on, win tonight. On Sports Radio 610, I predicted they would lose in seven. And uh, that last game at at uh, Oracle was just phenomenal, yep. one of the top five or six victories in our playoff victories in our city's history of any kind of any kind and uh because you know the fact is golden state's a better team they're a dynasty they're one of the greatest teams in history and they were at home Mm. where they hadn't lost and the rockets just flat let's see how i can put this uh muscled up Mm -hmm. muscled up and did what only their most loyal fans thought they could do which was to win there and overcome what was it, a 10- or 12-point deficit in the fourth quarter? I mean, you're down double figures at that place, and you come out with the win. That was phenomenal. With I James mean, Harden not scoring a lot in the fourth quarter, and that's why they got well, Chris Paul. Well, let's just take note of that. Harden's outstanding, the MVP, but uh, they do get balanced scoring from time to time without him doing as much, and it seems to work out pretty well for them. Remember that comeback against the Clippers a few years ago when they were dead and buried, but he was on the bench and they came back. Not that you're better off without him, but it has to be a – cumulative, ensemble-type effort sometimes. I don't know about top five, John. I mean, when you think about I've got to see how they do with the rest of the series before I categorize it that way. Because of where they played and because of what they were coming off Mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. worst playoff loss in franchise history. Now, it doesn't compare to, like, the last seventh game of a World Series. But as far as the Or even the ALCS. The mood shifts, things like that. The Ralph Sampson shot to beat the Lakers was incredible. Yep. To me, the most incredible playoff victory I've seen here was 79 mm-hmm. d- uh, divisional playoff game, which the Oilers were 20-point underdogs. To Eric Coriel in San-, San Diego without Dan Pastorini, Earl Campbell, and Kenny Burrow, and then they won. And to go to the AFC Championship game at Pittsburgh, the uh, Billy Hatcher game in 86 playoffs against the Mads, the Chris Burke home run. And I'm talking about the good ones. Right. You know, we don't get into the bad ones. Jeff Kent home run also. There's been some tremendous victories in this city. And Mm -hmm. most of the time we spend talking about the disappointments, of which there are many. But uh, I don't know if people's hearts could take many more finishes like we had in that last game, which is really the first game that's been great in this round of the playoffs in any conf- either conference. I agree. I mean, this conference playoff season, if you will, just looking at it from the outside looking in, not a lot of great games. I mean, it seems like some team puts together some onslaught run in the third or fourth quarter, and the other team doesn't have a response, and it's over, and it's a big blowout win for one team or in, the other. In the Eastern Conference, if you're at home, you win, which means the Cavs are going to win this and the yeah. Celtics are going to win in seven. One of the reasons it's so exciting here, it's not like the Rockets or the Astros won bad divisions. It's not like right. they're four or five games over five hundred. You got something to sink your teeth into, like Harden and Paul, a chance to beat one of the greatest teams in history. The Astros have allowed fewer runs in 50 games than any team in the live ball era, which began in 1920. 
Yep. They're phenomenal starting pitching. And then the Texans with Deshaun Watson back and looking so good and thinking about the possibilities, if they could stay relatively healthy, especially keeping him on the field, there's no reason the Texans can't win the AFC South and return to the playoffs. So uh, it is there's, – there's great players on each of those teams, and that makes it even more exciting. Well, you see things bubbling up with this AFC South competition in 2018. There's a lot to get to relative to the division, but let's start here. We were on the field this week looking at the Texans at OTAs. Brandon Whedon getting most of the quarterback reps, of course, but Watson did get some seven-on-seven, some individual work. What did you make of what you saw from him? He's been out there since the start of the offseason program. It wasn't any big deal to the Texans, but it was to us, the media, because the first time we'd seen him, and he had a brace on his right knee, and uh, somebody asked me on 610 this week, well, who was the closest to him? And I said, Bill O'Brien. I said, everybody's going to stay away from him. I think he could compete in 11-on-11, but they don't want somebody to trip and fall and roll into his knee, and he'll be 100% at the start of training camp. He had the surgery the first week of November. Remember, at Clemson, he had the surgery in January and came back and uh, was ready to go for the start of the college season and uh, led the Tigers to the national championship game. And so he knows how to rehab. And it wasn't so much Deshaun Watson, but the – Thinking about the possibilities if a if Will Fuller could actually play a full season like DeAndre Hopkins does, if uh, the tight ends could avoid getting hurt, watch Jordan Akins make a couple of really good catches, Bruce Ellington, Vincent Smith, the big receiver, fast receiver from Limestone, watched him make a couple. These receivers could be really good if they could stay on the field, but every one of them gets hurt, mm-hmm. including the tight ends. And so – that is so important to what they want to accomplish. And if you could just keep Fuller and Hopkins and then and then Ellington and Kiki QT, you know, these they this offense can be prolific. And I can't wait to see what the running game can do if the offensive line can be better. And remember when Watson was in, when he went down, Texans were third in the league in rushing, hundred and thirty eight yards a game. If they'd maintain that pace, they'd finish second in rushing. So, with Watson and a healthy Deontay Foreman with Lamar Miller, they ran the ball a lot. Bill O'Brien loves to run the ball a lot, as you know. So, the running game is going to be good again. I Mm -hmm. think, Mark, that when Watson is taking the snaps, the defense is more cautious, worried about him running after they saw the run at Cincinnati. And it opens up the running game for Lamar Miller and Deontay Foreman. So, I expect them to have a prolific running game, even though – I'm sure in his second season they would prefer Watson run less, throw more, keep his eyes down the field. Remember when Sean Ryan told us the quarterback they showed him the most was Aaron Rodgers? And then Aaron Rodgers went down for, with a yep. a play he never should have done and knows he shouldn't have done it. And uh, so he's got to be a real – he's got to be smart when he's got the ball, but also when he gets rid of the ball he has to be careful. So I'm, I'm – uh, and then I wrote a thing for Texas Sports Nation about – how great this defense could be if the front seven could stay healthy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they could be – you talk about number one in the league potential right here. I mean, they have so much firepower, but it is all about staying out of the trainer's room. John, back to the offense here for a moment. You mentioned Watson, or maybe I did. But what about Kiki QT, the rookie receiver who I thought, and I said this the other day, he just looks like he belongs out there. He just has that 
air about him. And I don't know if that translates into fine, phenomenal play on the field, but so far so good for him, it appears. In the rookie minicamp and then the OTA we saw, now they've had three, he he comes firing off the ball, and when he plants his foot to make his quick cut in his route, he's so explosive and quick, and he's tough. Bill O'Brien has not had two things that he would like to have here. He has not had a prolific slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Everybody would like to have a Wes Welker, a, a Julian Edelman, a, a uh, uh, Cole Beasley, somebody who can line up inside and be a weapon. And he hadn't gotten the production out of tight ends like he wants, and that's because of injuries. I keep thinking Ryan Griffin. I was looking at Ryan, what a great target he is. He's got experience now. If Ryan could stay healthy for 16 games, you know, he might catch 60 or 70 passes. And, and he's good after he catch the, makes the catch. And he's a great target in the red zone if he can stay healthy. So, Kiki QT, I don't know that he'll put pressure on Bruce Ellington. But Bruce has been hurt ever since he got into the league. And, you know, he made some big plays last year. Then he got hurt. So, that's going to be the key is keeping those guys healthy. I keep telling people especially ones that were complaining about last year. I said, what would, where do you think the Texans would have done last season if they'd lost one player for the season like Jacksonville? It depends on the player, but if it's not Watson, Well, they lost Allen Robinson, so say it was Will Fuller. Yeah, I think Fuller they do. was done for the year, and everybody else was healthy. Yeah, Texans would have done would just have fine. Yeah, exactly. Battling for the division crown, if not a whole lot more, maybe like Jacksonville, although I'm going to – Give Jacksonville a ton of credit for being able to go on the road to beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. And the they should, just like the Titans should get credit for going on the road and winning the arrowhead. Mm-hmm. But if you think about, like, the, the to the defense, the front seven, you'd like to see Clowney and Watt in our lifetimes play one season together. Yeah, please. In which they were healthy. Merciless is ready to go. But with the additions of Tyron Matthew, Justin Reed, and Aaron Colvin to the secondary the secondary with a pass rush is not going to just be better but can be a strength. Mm-hmm. Instead of last year, the lack of speed was exposed without a pass rush because you can't run with the receivers long enough. They were ex- especially exposed in Jacksonville. And uh, so it's it's going to come down to injuries. I'd love to see Watt, Merciless, and Clowney, that threesome, my goodness. The, this whew, Romeo Cornell wants to see it more than anybody. Well, I know they want to see the offensive line, John, but you're not going to see a whole lot in OTAs. Not everybody's healthy yet. So you have Julian Davenport penciled in at left tackle, and, of course, that's where he's going to be no matter what as far as the early going. But they're going to give him a chance to hold it down. What do you think his chances are of holding on to that job going into the regular season? Well, considering Kendall Lamb is behind him, I'm pretty sure he's going to hold down that job if he's healthy. And Chantrell Henderson gets first shot at right tackle. You know, he – He started 26 games his first two years. People look one start the last two years. That guy's no good. Well, he had Crohn's disease. He had multiple surgeries because of that. He got suspended for smoking pot because of the pain from the Crohn's disease. Now he's on a one-year contract. Usually, Mark, and you know this, there's nothing. You you get the very best out of a guy on a one-year contract who is at an age where he's got a chance to get another one for good money. He's in that situation. Martinez Rankin will compete with him. Um, I'll bet you – I've told, said this on 610, and I'll say it again. With the first or one of those two second-round picks next year, I bet they draft another tackle just because you need more. You need more mm-hmm. depth. 
the thing the thing I really like about Davenport, if if in this last draft you had a tackle who was six seven three eighteen eighty seven and a half inch wingspan, long arms, huge hands, former basketball player, smart as a whip. Right. Wouldn't you be love to have a guy like that? Mm-hmm. Well, the only problem was he played at Bucknell. Right. And it took him took him a while to adjust, but those last two starts, the coaches saw something and Julian Davenport they hadn't seen. It's like all of a sudden he realized I can play with these guys. And he showed them enough where they gave him the left tackle job. And and Henderson's at right. They got depth inside. You know, Nick Martin's still recovering. I can't remember what he had at the end of last year, but um, they're going to have four new starters. I'm sure it'll be Calamete and Fulton at guard. And all those guys can play. Calamete could play everything with the Saints. And uh, we know Fulton, Chiefs thought Fulton was better center than guard. Nick Martin played guard in college as well as center. Kyle Fuller, who they like a lot, was a center at Baylor, who made the transition to guard last year as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He's in there. You got Chad Slade, David Quisenberry. So there's going to be a lot of competition. It's going to be fun to watch. And Deshaun Watson is going to make them all look better. Two months from tomorrow, they go to training wow, camp. They exactly. go to the Greenbrier. Wow. So you're Nick Martin, you're whoever else is hurt. You've got two months to get it together for the start of training camp. Now, being available for the start of training camp would be great. It's not absolutely necessary, obviously, because you have six weeks from that point until you play in a regular season game. Six and a half, really. So... They'll hope for the very best for these hurt players. Tight ends quickly here, John. You mentioned Aikens for a moment. He made a couple of nice catches he at did. OTAs this week that we saw, and who knows what else is going on that we're not seeing. But that was promising. He looked a little bigger than I thought he would as well. And that's Jordan Thomas. He's a physical presence for sure. Six six. They list him 265. He said he played 280, played outside out of necessity. He's big. He's strong. Got huge, strong hands. They're going to make him into a good blocker because he's willing and he has the characteristics. So it's going to, who's going to be the odd man out? They're not going to cut a third-round pick. So Steven Anderson is going to really have to work. Maybe they keep him as a second fullback and H-back. But, uh, and I like Steven Anderson. Mm-hmm. But right now with Ryan Griffin and Jordan Thomas and Jordan Aiken, those guys are going to be on the team. They're going to be on the team, but Anderson still certainly has a shot. Special teams is going to factor into the mix. Let's talk about the kickoff rule, the helmet rule, the anthem rule, maybe a little bit. Look, it's an There's NFL an show. Rule? Eh, really? There might be an anthem policy. I didn't know that. It's just so many of the NFL shows are just all over it. I know it's been over 24 hours now. Maybe you've had enough of that. But uh, we'll hit on some very important stuff, including but not limited to the Texans' nemesis. It's Groundhog Day for them, and it's a big problem. It's Texans All Access. We're here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mark Vandermeer and the general John McClain from the Houston Chronicle talking Texans, talking NFL, saluting the Rockets, sending them some good vibes for tonight's big game five between the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors at Toyota Center. So good luck to them. Now, John, we mentioned this earlier. I have to pay off this tease instantly. Groundhog Day for the Texans nemesis. This would be the Colts. And this would be, we mentioned, two months until camp opens for the Texans anyway. Andrew Luck's still not throwing a football. Your thoughts? They claim they're not worried about it. The idea Mm. all along was to have him throwing at training camp. But remember, once Andrew starts throwing, he's not going to throw every pass right away. He's going to have to build back up to it. Right. If I'm a Colts fan, if I'm a Colts, I'm really concerned. Hopefully, Andrew will come back. The league would not be as good without him, and I hope. 
beyond hope that he's able to do it. Known him forever, know his dad, and I know how much how agonizing it is for the family. But man, oh man, it's been a long time since it, he's thrown a ball. And you know, people who listen know how much I hate the Colts. I mean, I despise them. I can't even, I can't even explain to you the hatred and anger and ire I have for this team. But it's Why? all, in a, it's all in a healthy sports way, John. Because we've beaten them like seven times in the history of the franchise. That's why. Because Jacoby Brissett's 2-0 against I mean, Texas. That kind of Orlovsky 1-0 versus his former team. <laughs> Stuff like that happens. Peyton Manning for years. Andrew Luck. But in this way, and you mentioned it, Luck being a Houstonian and we know Oliver and everything, I, I almost feel – I do feel bad for him. As a person, yes, he's not able to do the craft that he loves, you know, Multi-millionaires. This is funny about professional sports. I sometimes say this. When you feel bad for a professional athlete who earns gazillions of dollars, you're thinking, well, why do I feel bad for this guy? But everybody wants to do what they do, and they want to do it well, and they want to at least compete. If you lose, it's one thing. He's not even getting to compete right now. So in that way, you feel bad for him in a very personal way. But in a sporting way, hmm, it's okay if the Colts aren't as good to me. Do you know how good this division is going to be if he's healthy? Oh, my gosh. Watson's healthy. And he, and Mariota stays healthy, and none of them were healthy last year mm-hmm. for a full season. It's going to be so good to cover. I'm. I know you're plugged into what's going on in Tennessee, and by the way, they will have the draft in 2019 in Nashville. They're going to do a big thing with Broadway. Have they addressed what they're doing about the hockey arena? I mean, the NHL schedule has not come out for next year, so I would imagine they got to keep away. They got to keep away from downtown with the uh, Predators the week of the draft. That's during the uh, oh, that's a postseason. That's during the playoffs. Oh. They, they had the best record in the league this year. They got beaten in the playoffs, Yikes. but that could be an issue. Maybe they're going to do it around the stadium. They've got all that room around the stadium, but wow! And what if it rains? I'm sure they've thought of this. Yeah, they, I'm sure they thought of this. And I mean, uh, but they on Broadway, they can put thousands and thousands, and they're used to having big events there, of course, yep. because it's Music City. But I'm happy they got it. It's a great city. Canton, Cleveland will get the next one. And I'm pretty sure, Mark, at some point we're going to get it. Oh, I would love it here. I think it, it would be a great spot for it here in Houston. Look at the, what the city did for the Super Bowl downtown with the George R. Brown Convention Center, the and hotels. They know that. They know about yeah. our hosting the Final Fours, and we 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 went in and made a presentation, and we'll make more mm-hmm. to try to get it as they continue to award the draft. Well, next Final Four, just make sure you don't make the media hotel the one on the corner here. That would be. A- Big mistake, maybe. Yes, I think they know that. They know that. That might have been the one before the last. That was two one here. before the last Okay, one, yes. good. So they've corrected that little issue. Good to know. Uh, back to Nashville here for a moment, though. You've seen the growth of the city immensely because you've been covering that team since they left town, and you've seen what's happened in Nashville. It's really exploded as a city. It's always been a destination, but now it's more popular than it's ever. It's like Austin. There's so many people moving there. It's vibrant. A lot of young mm-hmm. people are there. It's great jobs. Not a lot. There's, there's a low unemployment and cranes are everywhere. But like Austin, they're not expanding the roads to keep up with the not population. Enough. And all the locals keep complaining because it's taking longer to get places. Locals sign also, of progress. Locals also complain. I read an article about people complaining about downtown dwelling owners renting their places out, Airbnb or VRBO or whatever, and you have all these partiers because a weekend in Nashville is like Vegas of the South or something, and they're making a lot of noise, and the residents don't like it. Anyway, back to football, John. The Titans, that's why we're on the subject. What's the deal? How's it going with Mike Vrabel and his first OTAs as a head coach? 
I wrote a really long, in-depth column on Mike Vrabel this week for PaulKaharski.com. Paul's uh, on my station up there. I do him mm-hmm. two, twice a week, the midday 180. And uh, he's on vacation. So he asked me to write it, and there was no space limitations. It was posted yesterday. He's he's tweeted it. I've retweeted it. Right. And uh, uh, they started their OTAs. And Mike is so far doing the things that Mike Malarkey would not. You know, the Mike Mike was a football coach. He didn't like get out and sell himself if he didn't have to. Right. Vrabel's got charisma. You know, Mike looks great, and and he's making speeches. He's making appearances. And now it's all about football. So they're really fired up. But Vrabel knows if he doesn't get to the second round of the playoffs like they did last year, there'll be people complaining like crazy. It's a rather odd situation. And Mike's never had a lot of criticism. He's been successful in college. The NFL's a player. And he's been successful as a college coach and an NFL assistant coach. So – uh, he's never been directly blasted by fans and media. And I've talked to him about it. And of course, he thinks he'll be able to handle it. But you never know until it happens to you. Well, definitely a coaching change there, maybe a philosophy change. Uh, some of the internal people are saying their access is a little bit different now that oh, Brady's yeah, gotten there. they put the same rules in there for the media that they have, that Bill O'Brien put mm-hmm. in here. They all come from the from Bill Belichick, who came from Bill Parcells. So, yes. Mike has put in new rules up there that the media doesn't like. By the way, can I complain about something Belichick does? He has lightened up a little bit on the no numbers for the rookies when they're working out this time of year, but now he's putting only numbers in the 50s. These are not the numbers they're going to have when they become members Rookie of the running team. Running back Sonny Michelle, 51. I mean, come on, John. That that should be illegal. It should right be there. illegal. should be against NFL rules. It's just preposterous. And guess what? When the Patriots start losing, although he might not be around when this happens because obviously he's the greatest coach ever, maybe, but when Brady and he eventually retire, I bet that doesn't happen anymore because you're going to have to promote well, the team. Of course. And, and one of the things about Bill, when they struggle, the media kills it. Yeah. They just kill In it. In a hot second. He's been getting killed for – Benching Malcolm Butler. I know. People think that kept him from winning the Super Bowl. Oh, I can't wait until they become a normal team again. When with- they started 0-2, uh, when Ted was there, everybody said he should be fired. When they got killed by Kansas City a couple years ago, yep. not last year, everybody said mm-hmm. he stayed too long, he should be fired, and yeah. he keeps winning Super Bowls. You know, when you start to win – you get criticized at a much higher level. Oh, you're not successful enough in the postseason. It's like the Atlanta Braves syndrome. When I was in Miami, the Dolphins were actually pretty good with Dave Wanstead. They were going to the postseason just about every year. They just weren't able to advance enough in the postseason. And they were so critical. And then they went through about almost a decade of no postseason. And then you start to think, well, geez, it was pretty good to get there. Just like here last year, I'd rather be 9-7 and seven and be in it than whatever the Texans were well, last course. year, 4-10, and 10, of course. Of course. Yeah. Give me a shot at it. All right, back to the uh, NFL at large now. Kickoff rule, John. What do you make of what this might be like for the NFL? It's on a one-year trial basis. There's no wedge anymore. The wedge is a shield. They let you do a two-man wedge. They got rid of the other ones. So you have to have five guys on each line. The guys can't run mm-hmm. until the ball's kicked. Like no running punch. start. And, and then uh, the – there is an area the off, the receiving team has to stay in until the ball's caught and or hits the ground before they take off. They want to reduce violent collisions. The, over the last three years, there have been 
71 concussions on kickoffs, 11 on touchbacks. And so they trying to stay away from the head trauma. I don't know why they don't just eliminate it, start to 11 on line. touchbacks. Think about that for a moment, folks. And and it's all because of the collisions when yeah. guys are blowing and going. I don't think that's going to be an issue. They're going to get rid of it. And the only drawback is uh, the surprise onside kick. You'll still be able to have an onside kick at the end of the game when you need to get the ball back. And you telegraph those anyway. Everybody knows you're going to do it. You just won't have the element of surprise. But it's a small price to pay if you keep more guys healthy. I think this year this rule is going to bring more returns. And, therefore, you won't have the collision. You're still going to have collisions, just not as many or as violently when they take running head starts. So you're saying get rid of it altogether. Get rid of it. But what if you need an onside kick? Well, then you just line up for an onside kick. Instead of what, giving the ball ball to the opponent at the 25-yard line or whatever? Well, are you talking about start a game? I'm talking about the end of a game when you need an onside kick. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking about after a touchdown, what do you do? Yeah, you put the ball like the 25-yard line. Unless you want to kick it to get the onside kick rolling. Well, if you do that, you're going to. Everybody's going to know you're going to do it anyway. We know now. It just takes away. It's a pretty violent play, by like the way. Like Sean Payton in the Super Bowl, surprise mm-hmm. onside kick. Jimmy Johnson, Super Bowl, surprise onside kick. You'd lose that element of the game. Okay, what about the helmet rule? I don't like that. When they looked at 40,000 on the targeting rule, they looked at 40,000 plays and saw three instances in which guys would have been kicked out of games last year, and they were pretty blatant. But the thing about offensive linemen, Charging off the ball, not being able to use their helmet, it seems like. What are you going to do? College, you're going to be in a three-point stance all the time. So a lot of the offensive linemen have problems adjusting because they have to get out in a three-point stance and come off the ball on rundowns. So now maybe it'll become more like the college game. They still run the ball, but it's always in a three-point stance with your head up. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us will complain, and there will be penalties at first, but they always, always adjust. Yeah, they adjust somehow. And I think you're right. You'll see a lot more of that college-style running attack. I mean, these college offenses, some people have the misperception that they're all about throwing the football. Well, that might be the first choice, but they do a lot of running. Oh, there's a lot of teams that run, and they run out of spread formations. Yeah. I mean, that's easier to run that way if your DBs are lined up all over the field covering four wides. Yeah, spread them out, let the guys find the gaps, and the Texans do some of that as well. Uh, let's clean up the anthem thing a little bit here. My take is this, John. I think I said it last night. I am for standing for the anthem. I think the anthem is a tribute to our country. I also think that players should have the right to protest, but I think their protests during the anthem are not heard the way they want them to be because they're offending people who value the anthem so much. So why not protest at another time? I think it would be a lot more productive. That's just my opinion. No, and I think uh, everybody should be standing for the anthem. They needed some kind of resolution. They have one. And and. Some of the wording, like if players are not uncomfortable for the anthem, stay in the dressing room. Well, it's not about being comfortable or uncomfortable. They kneel not because of the flag or the military, but they kneel to try to call attention to social injustices like racial inequality. So many fans and a lot of owners equate it with disrespect mm-hmm. to the flag. And I wish that the Players Association had been consulted Instead, they were not because they don't have to because of the collective bargaining agreement. So as it is now, you're, you're only a handful of guys were, were protesting. 
And they've done a great job here. Bill O'Brien's done a tremendous job of keeping the players together, and I think he'll continue to keep them together. But there will be some players who are going to defy the teams, and they will kneel, and then the team will be fined. Well, business decision, and we should note that there's a $90 million fund for players to access to help fund causes that are important to them social injustice, fighting, cause it, whatever the cause would be that would be deemed good for society, the NFL will match funds. There's some complexity to the situation, but there is a fund out there that can help the players. It goes to the Players Coalition. Next up, on the upcoming schedule, there's something brewing that I think people are going to find incredibly exciting. We've talked about it a little bit, but maybe not enough, and it's going to bleed into some other conversations about the great state we live in. Let's discuss on Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and the General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle with you here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Texans All Access, great to have you aboard. All right, John, let's get into this. The Texans and the Cowboys are going to meet October 7th, and I think that maybe we're not excited enough about this thing yet. And I know there's so much going on in this state, in this city with the Rockets, the Astros doing so well coming off the World Series. I know when we get closer to this little ditty, it is going to be something else. I mean, it's special when these two get together. If the Texans and Cowboys can get to that game healthy, Prescott, Watson, prime time, it is going to be huge. It'll be the biggest matchup they've ever had since opening day of franchise history, maybe even bigger if both teams are going pretty good in the early going of the season. What is your take? That would be ideal if both teams are good, like if they're both in first place at that point. Yep. And and um, for fans here, it's the biggest game of the year. It's not nearly as important as the Titans, the Colts, and the uh, Jaguars, but mm-hmm. or any AFC game. It's an NFC game, but because of Houston and Dallas and the fact that fans here, and I hope they don't sell their tickets and let Cowboy fans in here the way the Cowboy fans left the Texans fans up there and when the Romo had to go to the silent count, which is one of the most embarrassing things that could happen. Probably the most embarrassing thing can happen in your stadium. And uh, that game was overtime, right, when they lost yep. to Bill O'Brien's first season. A tremendous game. So they're going to have great ratings. It's going to be a chance for the Texans to really show people what they're capable of doing. Because I think the Cowboys are going to be good. They were 9-7 and seven with Zeke Elliott missing seven games. So if he's six games, if he's back now playing a full season, they gonna they got a good chance to win that division. And so I think it's going to be fun. As a Texan, I can't wait. I said – I said on here to you before the schedule came out, if there's a God, the Cowboys mm-hmm. and the Texans will be playing on Sunday night, which was the pre, the highest rated show of the season, and it's the highest rated show every week on network television. Well, now we have proof of the existence of God because the Texans and Cowboys will meet in prime time. So that's awesome. John, would you be in favor of revising the NFL scheduling format as such? You get to yes. play – uh, yes. An NFC yes. rival once a year, something yes. like that. I think two, actually. Give me two NFC rivals each year. They've been kicking that around for years. Problem is, some don't have rivals. Yeah, but, you, but you make them so up. Like, and when you have two, because like you have a lot of teams that could possibly have two. For instance, New England would say, we got to play the Giants. The Jets have to play the Giants. So they both have to play the Giants. You know what I'm saying? Buffalo might say... We got to play the Giants, and I don't know who Buffalo's rival would be. So you're right; there aren't natural rivals for everybody. But who if you would do- Arizona say? Who would the Chargers say? Who would Seattle say? 
Arizona would be the Chargers. It's easy in the states where you have multiple teams. Mm-hmm. There would be, I can't say none like this, but because of the rivalry, it's a one-sided rivalry. People in Dallas don't hate Houston. Right. They don't acknowledge that we exist. They don't acknowledge we have an NFL team. And you know what that reminds me of, by the way, just to stop you there? What's that? It reminds me of when I was living in Boston for a long time and New England for a long time and the way the Yankee fans felt about Boston. The Yankee fans didn't respect so Boston. superior. They thought, oh, come on, the Red Sox. And they were right because the Red Sox hadn't been to the – well, they hadn't won a World Series in forever. The Red Sox were the Yankees. You know, they, they were just little brother, really. And then look what happened. And now it's of this monster rivalry for the last, what, 15 years Best or so. rivalry in sports. And that's what I hope – the Houston Texans can become to the Cowboys, but you don't play them enough anyway. It's not anyway. going to happen until yeah. you can play each other every yeah. year, and uh, it's just not. I'm still surprised, Mark, that the rivalry there was, and it's too late really, that there's not an intense rivalry with the Titans. The only time it really got good was when the Texans won that game up there when they had the ejections in 09. fights in mm-hmm. 09, mm-hmm. and Kerry Collins fumbled, and yep. the Texans won a great game. I thought, man, it's going to take off. I thought when Vince Young got there, it was going to be good for a long time, and there have been moments. But there, it, and you to, to have a great rivalry, and you know this, you've got to both be good, and you've got to have controversy. Right. You know, you don't just play good games. You've got to have controversy. I'll throw in one more ingredient for you. Postseason matchups. Yes, Look at the Ravens and the Steelers. One. Yes. And, and the Redskins and the Cowboys back in the day. Postseason matchups that are intense add to it. Of course they would. But let me throw another one at you. To me, it's – I hesitate to use the word despicable, but in a sporting sense, it's despicable that the Longhorns and the Aggies do not play. I mean, come on. These two huge state institutions don't play football. They're funded. They've got gazillions of dollars. Play. I don't care whose fault it is and who says this and that. Just play on the football field. Get a series going. Play every year. Where it will not happen Mm -hmm. is in a Texas Bowl. You'd love to have them and the Bowl playing each other for the first time, but Mm -hmm. there's no way they're going to let it happen because they don't want the Bowl to get the money. Right. I would imagine the first time the Aggies and Longhorns play, it's going to be at Jerry World because he can offer them so much money. 100000 would have the, hunt, the home advantage. Right. And then eventually they'll do home and home. It's going to happen. but It's, it's, way, it's been way too long, And their though. fans want it to happen. We were talking earlier, and as somebody who loved this, grew up on a Southwest Conference and follows the Big 12 and likes the Big 12, I follow A&M, but I don't have this intensity about the Aggies as I used to now that they're in the SEC. I think it's a great point. I respect them. Like, I'll watch them play Alabama, but I don't get fired up about them playing Georgia or Florida. Right. I kind of like LSU because LSU's almost been part of Texas for so long. But I don't think, uh, outside of the Aggies, people in Texas don't get mad at A&M like they used to. They don't get (laughs) intense against A&M. Like they used to. In the long because horns, they're not playing your team anymore. If yes. they're not an Aggie, they're yes. not playing your team. And it's a great point. If the Aggies were going for national championships in the SEC, that would be one thing. Every, that would just bring a whole bandwagon of people along and people would have their opinions. And maybe the, the ones who would naturally hate them would hate them even more because they would be really good. Or the ones that uh, love them obviously would love them a lot. But the Aggies being who they are now, seven, eight, nine, whatever the win total is going to be, 
you're better off playing in a Big 12 where you're playing Texas and Texas Tech and, you know, battling state schools or at least close to home in Oklahoma as well, which has a bunch of fans here and a bunch of kids who come from here. That would be a lot more relevant to the people here. I was with some friends two weeks ago in uh, Colleyville for an annual reunion, and there were eight of us, and we're all from Texas, and we all went to, to A&M, Texas, Baylor, most of us from Baylor. And there was a TCU guy there, and and even the person from A and M wasn't talking about A and M. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that we used to talk about A and M and Texas football on the radio all the time, I can't yeah. remember the last time I've gotten a a message. And it helps that the long it hurts that the long arms haven't been good in so long. Yeah, that does hurt. You need for football to be great in the state of Texas. You mm-hmm. need Texas and the Cowboys to right. be um, best teams and among Yikes. the best in their in their conference and their uh, in their league. Division or whatever. And then if A&M is real good, too, that makes it even better. But the fact the Aggies are in SEC, it'd be fun for the Aggies, but not everybody else. And it's been a long time since the Cowboys and the Texas, Texas, the Longhorns, were both great in the same season. Yeah, I don't want anybody listening to what I just said about the Aggies to think that I discriminate because I don't. I'm equal opportunity here. The Longhorns, it's disgraceful. They've it's been this down. Disgraceful is a better word than despicable. It's yeah. disgraceful that the Longhorns and the Aggies don't, don't play. play. Every one of their alums yeah. would agree. And I thought I think it's also disgraceful the Longhorns haven't been better. They need to be a lot better for what they have and what they are and what they have access to in the greatest state for high school football in America. This is disgraceful, and they know this. I'm not telling the Longhorns anything they don't know. I think we all agree it'd be so much better if all these state schools were so much better. I just think it's fun stuff to talk about these rivalries, the significance of it. You mentioned it. We used to talk about this stuff on the radio all the time when Chris Sims was starting for the Longhorns, and then you passed the torch sort of to Vince Young, maybe indirectly. Sim battling with Major Applewhite. That was Applewhite a constant conversation. handing off the chance mock, who's still around, by the way. Who's still around some somewhere? I think he lives in the greater Houston area. He might be listening to this program right now. I just think it's enjoyable stuff to talk about. And John, it's funny because I'm, you know, I wasn't here during the Southwest Conference days, but I really wish that that still existed. And the night that I got a big taste of that was that Texas Sports Hall of Fame night, and I was emceeing, and you guys were inducting Vern Lundquist and all the great media guys, and Mickey Herskowitz got in, and Kern Tips, and I learned all about him. And I just thought, this league was fantastic, and it was kind of, yes, regional is the word, but it just felt local. It felt like grassroots, down home, Texas for the most part, football, and it was dynamic and dynamite i don't want to sound like an old dinosaur but when arkansas was in in arkansas mm. the fans used to come down from the hills for football and basketball mm. they followed the razorbacks like crazy and they were as much a member of the swc as all the schools in texas yeah but when they were really good and texas was really good it was an incredible rivalry that we all kept up with mm-hmm. and a&m was never consistently great in the swc and uh, they got they got when uh, Jackie Sherrill was there, and then R.C. Slocum. They got consistently good, but not competing for national championships like the Longhorns did and the Razorbacks did. But that was so long ago. I would like to see, and it'll never happen in my lifetime. A&M in Texas playing every year. A&M being back in the in the conference with the schools in Texas. I think it just makes us. It makes the state. It, it heightens the interest the way it used to to have Longhorns and Aggies 
going at it every year, and then uh, having the underdogs like Baylor trying to trying to pull upsets. Right, underdogs like Baylor. He said it, ladies and gentlemen. John, what do you have going on in the Chronicle? Um, I have a column about how I disagree with the new policy. It's on Texas Sports Nation, our website. You can get txsn.com. You can just put Texas Sports Nation, and you can get to it. It's twenty nine ninety five a year, and we write a lot of stuff just for that. And I'm about to do a thing about Johnny Manziel and June Jones together and why I think that could work out great for Johnny football Aaron Wilson's got a thing on Tyron Matthew on Texas Sports Nation. And I have a thing on Texas Sports Nation about the wide receivers and how good the offense could be if they could just stay healthy like DeAndre Hopkins. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mark. That's John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. All right, you can listen to this show on iTunes or TuneIn or wherever fine podcasts are available. Not sold, but available because it is free houstontexans.com videos from this week's practice session whole bunch of articles on otas go check it out houstontexans.com we'll be back tomorrow at six galat at night is next good luck rockets have a great evening go texans